as we look towards Christmas, um, we're going to be looking at this idea of Christophany. And we're, we've entitled it Glimpses of Hope. And what Christophany is, is these moments where Jesus himself shows up in the Old Testament. And so there's about 13 times that Jesus himself comes in the form of an angel to God's people in the Old Testament. And in so doing, it's these glimpses of hope where God reminds us that he will always be with us. And it culminates what? On Christmas morning. That Jesus was born in a manger. And he came to dwell with his people. And so as we look towards this lighting of this white candle on Christmas Eve service, remembering this Jesus who came, and now in that same way we are waiting for Jesus to come again, uh, we want to be able to see what, how can we have hope in the midst of our waiting? How can we have hope through the darkness, through the difficult circumstances, through relational crises, that we can be reminded of this Jesus who comes to us. And we're going to be looking at these four episodes. And today what we're going to be looking at is how Jesus appears to Abraham through, through a very dire situation. And that's what we're going to look at. So turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 22 verses 1 through 19. And if uh, you don't have a Bible, we have uh, church Bibles provided for you in the chair in front of you. Uh, if you're using that, you can find the passage that we're going to be reading on page 16 of your church Bibles. And through this, I think what I hope that we would see is, as Christ appears to us, that we would always remember that he is always our provider. And so let's see how that comes true through this story that we read here. Starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife, 
to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for stories uh, that you have provided of the Father of the faith. To be able to know, Lord, not so much that Abraham was the one that we should emulate, but Lord... And we can look to you who always provide. And so, Lord, I pray as we look at this passage today, as we see this glimpse of Jesus coming down to show himself to his people, Lord, I pray that you would do the same through your word. Reveal yourself to us so that, Lord, we might have hope in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of difficulty. Lord, may you reveal yourself to each and every single one of us, we pray. All of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As a Korean-American kid completely immersed in American culture and the school system, one of the things that my parents held very dearly and was a high priority for them, for me, was this thing called Korean school. It was every Saturday, 9, p 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., and no questions asked, I always had to go. Part of the reason I also had to go was because this Korean school was at my dad's church. And being the pastor's kid, I had to put on somewhat of a good show. Like, I had to show all of the kids and all of the students and all of the teachers that I was one of the best students possible. But the sad reality was I was not. And as much as I dreaded going every single Saturday, I went because I had to. And one of the regrets I have is not taking it seriously. Because to this day, I speak Korean like a two-year-old. <laughs> I kid you not. I sound like a two-year-old when I speak Korean. And one of these days, one of these days that I was taking Korean school, they would always have this one entrance exam to figure out what class you should be in. And at the Korean school I was in, there was, uh, there was the advanced class, and then there was just your regular class. And so everybody would be in this one room, and they'd give you this exam that you would have to take. 
And me not being well-spoken and not knowing much of Korean culture and history, I sat there seeing this other girl next to me who could speak Korean fluently. And so what did I do? Having the pressure as a pastor's kid, thinking that I had to be in the best class, I looked over. And I copied her exam word for word. Now, children, if you're listening, you should never cheat because there's always consequences. And what was one of my consequences? I had, to, I had more homework by cheating. I felt stupider than everybody else. And it was just horrible being in the advanced class because what I found the next, the next Saturday was that I was in the advanced class while the girl that I cheated off of was in the regular class. I don't know how it happened, but it did. Now, why do I share this story about this test that I took? Because here, as we begin this passage, what is the first thing that we read? God tested Abraham. And a lot of times, we think of testing, especially in the Christian faith, in this way that God tests us to tempt us to sin, right? Like God's out to get us, like in the many ways that teachers are out to get us. But that's not the reality of tests. What are the primary reasons we take tests? Teachers can tell you. First, is to show us what we know, right? What do we know of the content that we're being examined on? But secondly, it's also to test us on what we don't know. Not to shame us, but so that we might be able to know what we don't know. And in the same way, the Christian faith does that. Not only is it to know who God is, to know who we are, but also what are our blind spots? What are our shortcomings? What are those besetting sins, those habitual sins in our life? And God wants to reveal that to us. So that we might what? To be able to flourish in our lives. Now, I think a better way to think about testing is actually in sports, right? Not so much in the classroom, but in sports. Like me being on the basketball team in high school, there were these days where after a horrible loss, like our coach would count how many times during the game we would put our hands on our knees. Why? Because that showed weakness. It showed a lack of mental fortitude because you are not physic, you are not tired. It's just all mental. And so the next day at practice after a, a horrible loss, he would make us run. We would not touch a basketball. We wouldn't run any drills. He would just make us, he would just make us run the entire hour and a half. And he would be screaming in our faces going, you're not tired. It's all mental. Get strong. Why? That kind of drill and test was to make us stronger so that when it was game time, when it was the fourth quarter, we would be the strongest team out there, not huffing and puffing, but being able to take the nicest free throws, not because we're weak, but because we're strong. And in that same way, God tests us to be able to make us flourish to show us what we know of who he is. 
to show us what we don't know and where he wants to show us what we should. And to get at the heart so that we might be people who would flourish and grow to be who he desires us to be, to be more like Christ. And here, Abraham is tested. But what's fascinating is that Abraham obviously does not know that he is being tested. We do. The original audience knows. And here, Abraham is tested. And what we see is God's purpose for Abraham, but ultimately for us as well. And I'm going to do this in three ways. And the first thing I want us to look at is this call. The call of Abraham in verses 1 and 2. And what I want us to see is that this call that God gives to Abraham, this test, is not one where Abraham obeys blindly. But it's this faith that is not irrational or blind but one that is true to who God is. It's an all-knowing, rational faith that Abraham has. And we're going to look at this because what's the first thing that comes from this call from God to Abraham? It's the three words that we read. After these things. What are these things? These things that the narrator gives to us is everything from Genesis 12 all the way to Genesis 22. It's after all of these things have happened to Abraham. What are these things? Abraham, in Genesis 12, is called by God to leave the land of Ur of the Chaldeans and to go to this land that God calls him to, to Canaan. He's to leave and uproot everything and just go. And Abraham obeys. And then in Genesis 12, further on, he tells him, and I'm going to make you this great nation. Through your seed, as you look at the stars in the sky, you will have as many children, if not more, than the stars that you could see in the sky. Your name, my name will be great. I will be your people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And then in Genesis 15, God makes that promise valid. As Abraham is somewhat dreaming or sees this vision, these animals are slaughtered and cut in half, and God walks through to show that I am signing off on the promise that I'm making to you. And then later on in Genesis 17, God promises to Abraham and to Sarah as they're old. Decades later, he says, you will have a son, and his name will be Isaac. And through him, you, this promise that I have made to you will come true. What's my point in all of this? Over and over again, God appears to Abraham from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22 throughout his life, making and reaffirming his promise to Abraham and takes him through these difficult circumstances. Sarah is almost 100 years old. And imagine the doubt and the uncertainty that Abraham and Sarah have had. God, you've promised these things. And yet I'm barren. But what does God do? He continues to show up to Abraham throughout his life. Makes promises, appears to him. They have conversations back and forth. And all of this to show us 
that there is this special, unique relationship that Abraham, Abraham has had with God. And they have walked together. The patriarch of our faith has this special, unique relationship where it wasn't just out of the blue, but they have consistently had this long-standing relationship together. And God, over and over and over again, has proven himself to Abraham. And so why is this important? Because here, it's not this irrational faith that Abraham just obeys and says, okay, I'm going to just obey God and kill my own son. See, critics will look at this passage and they will say that the treatment of Abraham's sacrifice is one of this irrational product of blind faith. They see blind faith as one of great causes for religious violence, and that is absolutely true. But here in this story, it is not because of blind faith. It is not irrational. It is out of this rational, deep relationship where God has shown himself to Abraham over and over again and has kept this promise. And preachers and pastors and some commentators will say, well, we should applaud Abraham because of this irrational faith. It's when nothing makes sense that we just make that blind step of faith that we should reward Abraham for. But that's not the case at all. One commentator said, one misuses the climax of Abraham's story here in this passage when they divorced it from the rest of the drama. And that's what I'm showing you here from Genesis 12 through 22. God has shown himself to him. And so Abraham can obey because he knows that God is absolutely faithful. There was strong evidence of God's faithfulness to Abraham. And so he was able to rightly interpret God's will throughout his entire life. And he does that here. Francis Schaeffer, pastor and a theologian and an author, said this. He said, before Abraham was asked to move towards the sacrifice of his son Isaac, which, of course, God did not allow to be consummated. He had much revelation from God. He had seen God. God had fulfilled promises to him. In short, God's word at this time were in the context of Abraham's strong reason for knowing that God both existed and was totally trustworthy. You see, God's call is always rooted in his promises kept. And because he is faithful and trustworthy, we don't respond with obedient faith that is irrational, but it is one that is grounded by rational, all-knowing faith in who God has revealed himself to be. And that's why Abraham obeys this call. But it moves on to this journey, right? This three-day-long journey. It doesn't mean it was easy. I mean, imagine the tension builds as you read verses 3 through 8. Three days of questions, right? Of walking with his son Isaac, carrying the wood and the knife and the fire, the doubt, the belief, the hope, but also the despair, unanswered questions, uncertainty. I mean, these existed in Abraham as he, they took this three-day-long trek to the mountain. 
And what we are left to reckon is how difficult this journey must have been for Abraham and Isaac as well. And when you look at these verses, look at verse 5. As him and Isaac now are going to depart by themselves, what does Abraham say to his helpers? Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He says, I and the boy will come back to you. And then in verse 7 and 8, you know, Isaac's a smart boy. He sees that he's carrying the wood. And he sees his father carrying the knife. And it's more like a, these butcher like these butcher blades. And he's carrying the, the fire or the, the, the things that he needed to start the fire. And he's like, where's the animal? And he asks him that, right? In verse 7, he says, my father, here am uh, my father. And later on, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And what does Abraham say? He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. It's fascinating, even in the midst of difficulty, of this hard circumstance, of this journey, three-day journey of uncertainty, of questions and doubts, what Abraham does is he realizes in his faith that though I don't know everything, God will do it. God will do it. It's not I'm going to go up this mountain and I will do it. But I will go up this mountain and God will do it. Isn't that what he says to Isaac? God will provide. Not we'll go up this mountain and I will provide or I will do this or I will do that. He continues to remain rooted and grounded in this God as he goes up this journey and this mountain. Tim Keller, he writes, it is not on the mountain I will do it, but on the mountain, God will do it. Abraham doesn't know how, but he knows that God will find some way to still be the God of promise to bless Abraham, Isaac, and the world. How is it for us in the midst of our journey of difficulty? Don't, isn't our default in the midst of this journey, I will do it? In the midst of this difficult marriage, I will figure out what I need to do. In the midst of relational crisis, I will do so and so. Whatever that journey is for each and every single one of us, the, the default for us is I will do it. But here Abraham obeys. It's still necessary for us to obey. So in the midst of difficult marriages, I will still obey and do what God call, has called me to do, to love. Even if it means death to myself. But ultimately, God will be the one who will restore. God will be the one who will provide. God will be the one who will answer and keep his promise. And whatever that is, so many times in our journey we get lost. And we become short-sighted. And all we can do is look at ourselves. But here Abraham shows us what that looks like. But what's even more apparent as they take this journey is that it is not one that he walks alone. He carries this burden with his son. What do we see Abraham do? He gives Isaac the wood, that heavy load. He gives him all that wood to take. 
And Abraham carries what's dangerous, the fire and the knife. And together they take this journey. And they encourage one another in the midst of difficulty and doubt and despair, right? As Isaac asks his father, where is the sacrifice? Where is the animal? Abraham responds and says, God will provide. Don't we need that in the midst of our journey? Don't we need that for each and every single one of us to walk together and to be able to ask our faith community, our brothers and sisters in Christ, in your DG, in your CG, as you hang out together, to say, where is that animal? And for one another, for the others to say, God will provide. My marriage is falling apart. God will provide. My finances are struggling. God will provide. My children are going through difficulty. God will provide. I'm going through the most difficult time with my friend who's dying. God will provide. We need to do this together. And it was beautiful as, I, as we just witnessed all of these people who just came up to join the church. One of the things I love and the elders and I, as we interview all of these members, we get to hear their journey story. And in the midst of their journey, we get to see God's promises fulfilled. Yes, it's sometimes difficult and hard, but we get to hear God's faithfulness in how God does it. And one of the members who came up this morning, fresh, as a member of Restoration, is James Sutledge. And I've asked him to come up. And the question I asked him as to share this morning to us is, what role did God's promises have in your life after your accident? both in joys and in hardship. So I'm going to ask him to come up, and he's prepared his story. And this is how we do it together. We share one another's stories. And here he gets to share to us, God will provide. I'm going to ask him to do that now here with this mic. God is a physician who's with me then, now, and always, though, with me forever, though, because he was, because I went on a trip, though, in January 30th of 1997 with some friends to go to college, who, in college, to go to Colorado to go skiing with them in Breckenridge, and the first slope, the first day, I went skiing down the slope, I crashed and hit a tree head on, and the only person, the only person there on the slope was a man skiing, and he was also a neurosurgeon. He saw me, he, rest, he stayed with me until the ski patrol was, that before the ski patrol could come. So I went at 68 and do all that though. But then he stayed with me though, a neurosurgeon though, which was amazing. That God was with me though during the whole, the moment I hit the tree. I was in a, co I was in a coma from that instant on January 30th. I was airlifted to, to Columbia Swedish Medical Center in Denver because the Denver Municipal Hospital, which was full, and the Columbia Swedish was the best trauma, trauma hospital in the area, though. And that's the amazing thing, too. And then my father, and my mother and father came, and they rented an apartment nearby so they could watch me. And I, uh, they gave me less than 50, the surgeon saw me, and they gave me less than 50 feet chance to live. And if I did, then I, I had less than, because the, the levels were down, everything. So it's a miracle that I even stand here and walk. But they still worked on me, though, with the prayers of 
my family, my friends at school, and all. The doctors prayed for me every time before they did the surgery on me. They, and they just watched me as everything was going down every time, though. It was seizures and that while I was in, and I still in the coma, though, all the way from January 30th until March 3rd. And that's when I miraculously awoke, though, and asked for my glasses. And that, and that was, I mean, a miracle, though, because of the prayers and grace, mercy of God, Jesus, who was with me the whole time. And he allowed me to be here, to stand and be here, and just become a member of this church, which is a great thing. And I'm just thankful to God. I depend on him every day, though, because every day an incident could happen, though, and that could be it. So I'm grateful for God, and I'm thankful for him. I depend on him every day because anything could happen. But he loves me, and he cares for me, and that's why I'm here. I'm just really thankful for being here part of the United Church, and I can stand and still live independently as a believer, still live on my own, and just do what a person can do as a, normal, as a regular person. And that's my... Thanks, James. Oops. You know, it's, 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 it's unbelievable to hear when he shared that with me. It's, but it's also, you know, something where it's like, it's not like his life is hunky-dory either. I mean, there's still struggles that each and every single one of us go through. But it's the promise of who God is as he walks with us. And we see that in the last point of the provision. In verses 9 through 19, you know, we see the, the, this narrative just all of a sudden slow down and come to this screeching halt. And very deliberately, we see the record of every action taken by Abraham. Start in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. He laid the wood in order, bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. You see, I mean, every single step is recorded, and it just completely slows down. Why? Because in that moment, we see the angel of the Lord appear and call to Abraham from heaven. And he speaks in the first person as God and repeats what he said in the initial call. So who is this angel? It is God himself in the person of his son. He speaks saying, you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And here Jesus appears to Abraham. And he reiterates the promise, even in verses 15 through 19, to show us that this is Christ who comes in the Old Testament to appear. Why? To appear in this moment for the sole purpose of provision and promise. By providing a ram, he keeps his promise to Abraham. God is showing us and revealing that his son is the provider. Think about the Israelites who heard this story being told. Who would they identify with? There's only two choices, Abraham or Isaac. 
at first glance, you would say, well, it's obviously Abraham, right? Because he's walking through this excruciating choice and has to wrestle with his faith like we do. But when you really come down to a deeper level of who they're going to identify with, there's little doubt that Israel would have identified with Isaac. Why? Because their question as they heard this story is, would Isaac die or will he live? Because if he dies, then there's no way we exist. Because God's promise to Abraham was that your name will be great and you will have children more than the number of stars in the sky. And here they are listening to it. And the question for them is if Isaac dies, we die. If Isaac lives, we live. And so for them, as they hear this story, their question is, will, we, will Isaac live or die? And it's actually amazing. The Jewish people today celebrate on Jewish New Year's Day this thing called the binding of Isaac. They identify with him. And moreover, this theme that God will provide is the heart of the message for their people. Throughout their history, imagine as they hear it, are they in exile? Is God's promise going to be true? That we will be, our nation will be great and we will have people more than numbers of stars in the sky? How about when they were about to enter the promised land for 40 years in the wilderness? As they hear this story, they are validated and given hope that God will provide and that they would enter the promised land. And that's true for us today. Just like Israel, don't we wonder, can we really trust God to provide? Whatever it is in our lives. And here as we read this story, we are given this great hope, yes, God will provide. And Paul makes this true as well in Romans 8. In the screen provided for you. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither anything else, in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, he takes Abraham's story, Paul, and interprets it through this grid and says, if God withheld Abraham, his only son, he does that and we know he can always provide because he did not do that for his own son. He let his son die. So that we might have life and know that he will always provide for us. We might not know how. But that his provision is always true. Ed Clowney said this. He said, the son paid the price on Calvary. So did the father. In mystery beyond mystery, the eternal God was silent as the incarnate son cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not just at the incarnation did God give his son. He gave him also in the darkness, in the silence, as he forsook his beloved. Brothers and sisters, Christ died so that we may live. 
That ram died so that Isaac might live. So why will we not promise or why will we not hope in God's promises that are always true, even in the midst of difficulty? There's this picture here of this woman named Florence Chadwick. Some of you might know who she is, but she's famous for having swum the English Channel in both directions. And on July 4th, 1952, she desired to swim from the Catalina Islands to the coast, west coast of California. But on this day, it was shrouded in fog. And as she began her swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California, she finally got so tired that she wanted to give up. And in giving up, her mom looked at her in the waters and said, don't give up, don't give up. The coast is so close. But for, but for Florence, she could not keep going because she was so tired. But ultimately, that fog prevented her to see the destination. And after she got out into the boat, as reporters flogged her, she said this, Look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I might have made it. It was the fog that defeated her. She couldn't see the coast, her destination. And two months later, she swam the same channel. And again, fog obscured the entire land and her view. But this time, she swam with her faith intact. And she not only completed the crossing, but actually finished it two hours faster. This is a picture of the Christian life. The promises of God describe our journey and our destination. She had this mental image of the coast. For us, it's not just a mental image. God has provided himself, his son, so that we might know he will always provide for us. And he's provided it through the table as well. God has provided this beautiful table to remind us that even through the fog, when we want to give up, he's saying, look, if I have not even withheld my own son, surely will I not provide for you. Brothers and sisters, that is our hope. Let's pray together as we come to the Lord this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your son. We're not just reminded of stories. We're not even just shown a glimpse of Christ through an angel. But Lord, your son came as a man, not to just live here and to identify with us, but to die for us so that we might have life. So Lord, I pray that as we walk through this journey of our faith, Lord, provide people around us who will be able to say the Lord will provide. Give us encouragement through the church. But Lord, here, even as we come to the table, give us strength, give us grace, give us hope. So that, Lord, our faith will endure and that we could be able to know that your promises are true. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the, on the night that our Lord was betrayed after giving thanks, he broke bread and said, This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took of the cup. And after giving thanks as well, he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. For as long as you eat this bread... 
and you drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he returns. Brothers and sisters, come to the table, eat, drink, be encouraged, be strengthened. That even through the fog, God has provided us a way. It's through his son. It is through his son that we know that he will keep his promise. For some of us, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, if you are not on this journey with him, let the elements pass by you. There's no shame in that. We're just glad that you come. Uh, but rather, I want you to read through the scriptures of God's promise that he is for you, he's with you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. His love is eternal. He's committed to you. So may that be your hope this morning. If you need a gluten-free option, we have that. I'll let the ushers know. And if you can't have wine, there's grape juice on the outer ring of each of these plates. Hold it together and we'll take it together, signifying our unity.